This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Halos. This is Jared Timms alongside Brent McGuire for another episode in our series. I guess we can call it a series now that we are on episode number three of this series. Um, first off, I just wanted to, you know, kind of take it back a second and say congratulations to Derek and John because they've been on this podcast the longest and they actually just hit their, well, we, I guess, all just hit our 100th podcast. I didn't know until it came out, obviously. I mean, I probably could have looked a little harder, but congratulations, Derek and John, on that. You guys um, are, you know, the backbone in this whole thing. You guys are great. I love Brock. You know, I, myself, you know, Brent, who's been joining me, done great. But Derek and John, congratulations. You guys have done fantastic with your stuff. I know we haven't talked too much. I need to get on. We all need to get on a podcast together here really soon. And do that. But I just want to start it off by saying congratulations to you two for doing this. You guys, again, are the backbone. You guys are the ones who've made this such a big thing and it's been fantastic. And I, I love it. I appreciate everything you guys have done um, for myself and Brock and now Brent, who's kind of joining us here. So just congratulations on 100. I know we didn't get in a crazy 100 ep- 100th episode like we probably wanted to. I know we had some plans for it, but you know, that'll come eventually. We have 200, 300, 400, and hopefully. Even more than that, um, I just want to start off by saying that Brent. Sorry, I had to do that. How are you doing today? Hanging in there, hanging in there. I'm excited to talk about Dylan Bundy today. Yes, yes, Dylan Bundy. I'm, I'm super excited too. I I know we had a couple of days to research him and see what he had to do. A lot of interesting stuff there as well. And the first thing I just kind of want to point out abnormalities. And I think I'm just going to continue to say that at the beginning of every single podcast. Because that is what I personally and I think a lot of people look for in different pitchers is something that is different that a pitcher does really well. And we'll see that here with Dylan Bundy. Um, Let me just pull up his stats real quick because I didn't have him on my screen. Um, So last year with the Orioles, because obviously Dylan Bundy got traded 
to the Angels this offseason for a package of prospects. I guess you can call them prospects. There's what four pitching prospects in a sense. One that was in AAA. Everybody else is just kind of interesting. Um, two of them had never even pitched for the Angels. Uh, I'm not even going to try to remember it because it's going to take me a minute to remember it. But I, I, I think I could remember it. Um, last season with Baltimore in 2019, Bundy was seven and 14 and 30 starts. He has pitched over 160 innings in each of the last three seasons. So he is a, as we call decently reliable starter. Um, he pitched to a 2.5 fan graphs war last year in those 161 innings. He had a 4.79 ERA, a 4.73 FIP, and he had 162 strikeouts with 80 or uh, 58 walks, sorry, in those 161 innings. Brent, if we're looking at the numbers, what kind of stands out to you? So I think just looking at, you know, the last three years, he's basically settled in as a nice, uh, I guess you'd say number four starter, basically a league, league average starter. And I think the innings pitched is super important because obviously if you're an Angels fan, you know, that last year was really hard, not just from, terms of quality in the rotation, but quantity as well. And Bundy looks kind of like the safest bet to be able to provide both of those things for the Angels in the upcoming season. And for other reasons that we'll probably get into later, I think there's a lot of potential left in the tank to even be better than he's been the last couple of years. Yeah, you know, I mean, you look at his FIP and his ERA and it's not fantastic by any means. You look and you're like, oh, you know, it's just an average to below average pitcher if you look at that. But I really think that it has something to do with the team that he was on last year. And it's not, I, I, Brent, we've all been on bad teams. Everybody that listened to this has been on a bad team or has watched a bad team. And it's not easy to do that. It's not easy to play on a team that's not very good. And that it, I'm not, I'm not saying that the players don't want to be there, but you know, it, it's tough to go out there and lose. What did they lose? 105 games last year. I mean, it's, it's not an easy thing to go do that. And, and even in back-to-back years. So, I mean, if you're looking at his record, he's, in his last two seasons, he's 15 and 30, 15 and 30. And he's compiled a 3.5 F4 in those two years. So, I mean, it's, it's not like he's been a, a bad pitcher. I think that actually his stuff, and we'll get into his stuff in a second, is really going to play up really well with the Angels. And I mean, it could be almost in sense a breakout season for Dylan Bunny. I know I've been saying that a lot about the Angels pitchers, and I think we all have because I think it's more due for a decently good season of Angels pitching. And I think they set themselves up fairly nicely. But I think this, the um, Dylan Bundy stuff really will play up well with the Angels. And I think with um, what Mickey Calloway is, you know, teaching the, teaching the squad. I don't know, Brent, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's, it's a really interesting point. I think on an even like deeper philosophical level, the Orioles have been atrocious at developing pitching for, I mean, what's it been 10, 15 years now? I mean, the most obvious examples, the Jake Arrieta thing, where he wasn't allowed to throw a particular pitch with the Orioles, goes to the Cubs, wins a Cy Young. I'm not saying Bundy's going to go win a Cy Young for the Angels, but I do think there's something to be said for him getting out of a really, really bad situation, like Jared just mentioned. And I think there's a lot of potential here for him. Yeah, and I'm as you said, like bad at developing pitching. I've thought about all the pitchers that like they've kind of brought up in a sense. Brian Mattis, uh, Kevin Gosman, Dylan Bundy, who was a first round pick, uh, Jake Arietta, and Jason Hamill was their last really good, you know, starting pitcher, I, I believe, and they traded him away. So, I mean, yeah, the Orioles haven't done a great job with this development in pitching, and it's something that I'm sure they're going to continue to try to improve on. 
Uh, I'm not an Orioles expert by any means. Um, So I guess we'll just kind of go right into Dylan Bundy and his stuff. And we'll start off with his fastball, which he's thrown 42.4% of the time. Brent, I know you've you've written down a whole bunch of notes for each pitch. Brent, I'm going to have you explain a lot of this stuff. So let's start with the fastball. Yeah, so I know both you and I have wrote separate articles on Dylan Bundy and kind of what he needs to do to improve in the future. And I think the most obvious thing he can do is just stop throwing the fastball as much. And he has started throwing it less and less. His rates have been going down over the last couple of years because the pitch just isn't that good. I mean, other than the above average spin that it has, it's thrown below with below average velocity doesn't have a ton of movement, doesn't get ground balls, doesn't get strikeouts. It's just, it's not a great pitch. I mean, you look at the slugging percentage against the fastball the last couple of years, and it's somewhere around 600. I mean, that's just a, it's a telling sign that he needs to start throwing that pitch a little bit less or alter the shape on the pitch. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know what kind of fastball he should be throwing, but I think throwing it less will definitely help him moving forward. No, you're you're totally right. I, I I agree with that. You look at he, he if I remember correctly, I'm not looking at it right now, but he was I think in 2017 throwing his fastball 60 something percent of the time, which was insane for his fastball. Which obviously I don't think, but I mean three years ago we didn't have the technology that we have now, and we don't have the we didn't have you know this type of thing going on. Um, it's super interesting. So the the Orioles had him pitching up in the zone even though he was throwing 91 miles an hour, just because he had a, a pretty good spin rate. He averaged about 2,500, 2,400 RPMs on his, on his fastball, which is not a hor- horrible thing. So it, it's kind of you know interesting that they had him pitching up in the zone. I think that that's the one thing that the Angels could do is have him start living down in the zone. Um, the one negative thing I'll say with his style of pitching and pitching down in the zone is that he comes from almost straight over the top and he has like a 1230 spin direction on it which is going to give you, like we've talked about before, if you haven't listened to the first podcast, go listen to it. It's going to give you more of a straight fastball, you know, less vertical break on it, you know, less sink, less depth on your fastball. Um, and that's a reason why he's been pitching up in the zone. But I don't know if he throws it hard enough to throw up in the zone. You know, and, and it's, it's something that I think a lot of pitchers are struggling with at the moment because you don't want to pitch down in the zone throwing high spin rate but then again you don't want to be pitching up in the zone throwing 90 something miles an hour so i totally agree with you i think that he needs to start throwing some type of two seam or sinker in a way or even throw a cutter from that arm slot to get a little bit more different movement instead of having his straight fastball i think that that's something that he could definitely accommodate with or he could definitely work with yeah like you mentioned it's he's in a weird spot because so many hitters are adjusting in this day and age and hitting the low fastball better than they ever have before so you'd like him to go up in the zone, but as a guy who's throwing in the low 90s, that it's awfully risky to just try to aim for the top of the zone because if you're missing just by a little bit, I mean, everything's going to end up kind of over the middle of the plate, and that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So I don't know if he should you know, start throwing that sinker more, like you mentioned, or if he just has to figure out a way to try to live up in the zone consistently. I'm not sure I have the answer for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think I have it either. You know, I'm not... It's something that it's it's tough to really do. I think he needs to just, in a sense, go away from that pitch. If I was coaching, I'd be like, "Hey, let's let's get a let's get a cutter going. Let's start working on a two seam, something that's going to give you more horizontal movement rather than just sit flat." I think it could be a better pitch. And then, obviously, lowering that down into the thirty percent usage, um, you know, that would be a huge thing as well for him. 
Um, so let's move on to his, I guess we can call it his, it, well, it's his most used secondary pitch. And that's his slider, which he uses 22% of the time. Brent, what do we got on the slider? Yeah, this, uh, this slider is really good. I mean, this is, this is the reason that I'm really excited about him. You look at just the entire profile and it's, it's really nice. I mean, the movement itself isn't great, but it's got above average spin. He locates it well, and you just look strictly from a result standpoint. 50% whiff rate almost, and then rounders at a 52.4% rate. That's really good, and that's been pretty much the going rate for him the last two or three years, even when the fastball hasn't been going well, even when his ERA has been up a little bit. I mean, the slider has been there, and I think if you're talking about which pitch he should start throwing more, well, he throws the fastball less. I think it's the slider. It's it's a borderline elite pitch in baseball. Oh, 100%. And it's something that we've seen Billy Epler target is guys with really good sliders. And I think that this is a reason why he wanted to go and get Dylan Bundy. Why he ended up getting Dylan Bundy was because of the slider. And he sees something in this pitch that he can make work a lot better. You talk about being an above average pitch. It only has five inches of horizontal break, which is kind of interesting for a slider. Um, and the league average on horizontal movement is six inches, but it does have 44 inches of vertical break or vertical drop in it compared to the 37 inches, which is the league average. So you are seeing a whole heck of a lot more movement on this pitch than anything else. And it's, it's a very good pitch and I totally expect him to use it 10% more. I mean, is 10% a crazy jump. I don't, I don't really think it is. I think this is kind of a uh, worthy time to bring up this article that I read a while back, um, by Michael Hedo at uh, Pitcher List, and he basically compared Bundy to Patrick Corbin, who, if you're not familiar with Patrick Corbin, he throws a shit ton of sliders. <laughs> and basically, since he started doing that in 2017, you've seen the results. I mean, he's had two or three really good years in a row, and I think there's something to be said for just saying, okay, you know what? My slider is my best pitch. I'm going to throw that thing, I don't know, 35 to 40% of the time. Maybe that's a little too high. Maybe it's a little too low. But I think we probably both agree that he can be affording to throw that pitch a little bit more. Yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. I, I totally think he could. I mean, everything points towards him throwing it more next season. I would be totally shocked if he didn't throw it thirty percent of the time next year. I mean, it's going to probably more than likely, according to the numbers and according to what we know about all this stuff, be his go-to out pitch. And it's going to be, you know, it, it should be a nice pitch for him. And I think it's going to really help him down the road you know i think it's going to help him be a, a much better pitcher you know one thing it's kind of interesting brent we see this how don't the orioles see it what do you think so i it's it's really hard i think the orioles underwent a change in the regime in the front office the coaching staff and dylan bunny was one of the few guys who was kind of going through that really ugly rebuild so it's really hard to just tell a guy, hey, we want you to start doing this, even though you've been here longer than we've been here. I mean, I, it's difficult. It's really difficult to tell a guy that, hey, you should change the way that you've been pitching your entire life. But I think if you approach him with the right numbers and in the right way, I think there's something to be said for him maybe taking that advice. And I'm not, we're not trying to crap on the Orioles here, but I mean, there's just the track record of them not getting the most out of pitchers. So I think Giving him a change of scenery is really going to help. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I said that was a, one of the first things I said. I think getting out of Baltimore is a huge thing for him. It's that's a pretty big hitter's park there, and you get you get going there in the summer with the humidity and all that stuff. The ball flies there. 
you know, it's, it's just something that we've seen in the past and it's something that always will happen in Baltimore. Um, and you know, I think that coming to Anaheim or Arizona, wherever they, wherever it gets played next se- this season, um, is going to help him no matter what, you know, it, it's, it's just going to be a, it's a huge thing for him. And I know that Mickey Calloway has been helping him as well. I think that Mickey Calloway is going to be a huge part in this. Um, so let's move on to, I guess the next best secondary pitch for him. At least that's what, you know, it's the order that we're working in the changeup, which he threw 70 or 74. Wow. 17.4% of the time last year. Uh, Brent, let's go over your notes here on the changeup. Yeah, so that rate that you just brought up is 17% usage. That was definitely the highest of his career. It's a pitch that's started to become better. He's clearly more comfortable with it. You look at the the velocity and the spin, all of those things have kind of improved. Uh, the movement has improved, and the results showed that last year. It didn't get a ton of strikeouts. His whiff rate was 32.5%, which is above average, but not great. But you look at the ground ball rate, 57.7%. That's really good. And that kind of means that this pitch has multiple functions. So you can either get the strikeout with it, or you can get ground balls. And again, if we talk about him dropping back the fastball usage by like 10%, this is another pitch, the changeup, that he can start utilizing more often. Yeah. And when we're looking at a changeup, and the good things about a changeup, you're looking at a drop in spin because that is going to create a lot of good amount of depth. And that is something that Dylan Bundy does very well with this pitch is that he kills spin really well. It'd be interesting to see his grip and how he throws this pitch to kill spin in such a way because he kills almost 1000 RPMs in spin, which is which is crazy. You don't see that um, with a guy who has a really a pretty good spin rate. On a fastball, you don't see too many guys kill spin like that. You usually see a spin, I don't know, maybe drop 500 or so on a changeup like Andrew Heaney has. Um, but Dylan Bundy does a fantastic job of killing spin, which creates depth in your pitch. Um, and I think that's why it's such a deceivingly good pitch, I guess. I don't, I don't, it's, it definitely has room for improvement when you look at the movement because it has 13 inches of horizontal movement and the league average is about 13 inches of horizontal movement. And you look at how much depth it has on it. It has 32 inches and the league average is 31 inches. So when you look at movement, it's a league average pitch. But I think that, and I'm going to get into this a little bit more here in a second. I think that spin mirroring is a huge part of this. And I wanted to get to it last. I kind of wanted to go over our pitches here before I got into it. But I think spin mirroring plays a huge part in this pitch and why it is such a, it's a good pitch. For being a league average pitch, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think you kind of alluded to the spin rate and that improving upon. I There had to have been some sort of change in a grip, and I haven't really found that answer yet. It's probably out there somewhere. But, I mean, the RPMs dropped by like 200 last year. That's a huge drop. And he didn't sacrifice any velocity. The movement changed. The spin obviously was changed. So, you know, Clearly, he started tapping into something else. I'm going to try to see if I can find something about his grip before the end of this episode ends, because those are some pretty drastic changes without making you know some sort of obvious intent to change it. Yeah, I'm going to go with it was some type of grip change. I think I, I mentioned it in the article that I wrote on him is that it, it was such a huge change in it. Um, it, it. He had to have been throwing some type of different change up in a sense that helped him with this. Um, that gets into pitch design. You know, that's the great thing about 
everything that's happening in baseball right now is this pitch design and having the cameras and having the rap soto and having trackman and having anything everything that you can do you're able to make this type of pitch happen and you know kill spin in such a way i i'd love to love to sit down with dylan bundy and know what he did i would love it you know i i don't think i'm gonna ever be able to uh, but i hope that somebody you know is able to ask him this question and see what he does um i may reach out first to some feelers and see if anybody knows actually now that we're talking about this um so we'll move on to the next pitch which is his curveball and i love his curveball i think it's fantastic pitch great curveball spin mirroring to his fastball is phenomenal again i'll get to that in a second he threw his curveball just 9.9 percent of the time last year brent let's go over your notes on this yeah this is uh i think in isolation, this is a good pitch. You look at the spin and the velocity is really slow on it. He gets pretty good results on it. It just it feels almost out of place with the rest of his arsenal. But at the same time, I do think it's a nice change of pace pitch. And I know you've kind of talked about um, being unpredictable, and that's something that's important. So he's kind of at a weird spot with the curveball right now because we're talking about him utilizing his other pitches more often and also dropping the fastball usage. But I wonder if he should be cranking up the curveball usage or if he goes in the other direction, because if he goes down at that point, what's the point of throwing anymore, you know? So I I don't know if he's going to try to just keep it where it's at and just use that as like a change of pace pitch or if he's going to try to change the usage on it. I think he should change the usage on it. I'll say that right now. I think, and I I tried finding, I, I know you can, but I tried finding what he throws after a certain pitch. So, like, if he's throwing his fastball that, you know, he's throwing his fastball, how often is he repeating with his curveball? Because when you get to spin mirroring, and I'm going to get to it right now, his pitches are fantastically mirrored with each other. So, his fastball and curveball mirror great. I mean, you look if you were to look at an overlap with them, fantastic mirroring. I mean, you get a fastball up in the zone and then you drop off a curveball, it almost looks like the same pitch. It's, it's crazy. And then the slider and the changeup, mirror very well with each other as well where a slider will move away from a righty and it will move into a righty as the changeup will move into a righty just the same amount it looks like the exact same pitch and i think when we're getting to abnormalities and tunneling and all that stuff this is what dylan bundy does so well he tunnels his pitches phenomenally when you look at them and i I, I'm, i'm trying my best to find a way to get all four all three all four of his pitches i'm not going to call his sinker a pitch because i don't think he actually throws a sinker and that we'll get to that in a second i think he throws all four of his pitches great i think it's in a, i think that if you were to get the same video but all you know the pitches coming out of the arm slot i think that they would break completely different directions and i honestly don't know what the orioles are doing there but dylan bundy has a chance to be something pretty special with the angels and i see why he was a first round pick. And I think he was a third overall pick by the Orioles. You know, it's just such a shame that the Orioles took such a weird route with him because I think that there is something, there's, there's some good stuff here. And I, 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 you know, well, well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hyping it up so much right now, but I, I really like Dylan Bundy a lot. Like his, his mix pitches work well with each other. And, you know, this podcast isn't over yet. And I feel like I'm getting a conclusion to it already. And I'm going to go back to his curveball. But I think that the Orioles really screwed up on with Dylan Bundy. I think that the Angels are going to improve him so much. I think that he could legitimately be an all-star here with the Angels. And it's it's going to be it's going to be great. Back onto his curveball, though. Um, it averages 
eight inches of horizontal movement away from a righty, which is l- below average. The big thing here is the amount of vertical movement. It drops 65 inches compared to 54 inches, which is the league average. It, it has an extra 11 inches of drop in it, which is crazy. That's another, another foot of drop, you know, and you talk about a nice, you know, change of pace, play, pitch. Uh, I, that, that, that's as, that's as good as it gets. And you start, you know, you go with a fastball up in the zone and you get a guy looking at her swinging at it 91 with that high spin rate, which again is, is yet to be seen whether that's a good thing or bad thing. And then you drop in the curveball, which is on the same, you know, same direction, same spin mirroring type of thing, same tunnel as his fastball. And I, I think that it's a, a fantastic one, two punch. And I think that he needs to throw his curveball more. Brent, I'm sorry. I know I rambled on there a little bit, but what do you, what do you got here? No, you're fine. You're fine. That was, uh, that was a good little run right there. Um, yeah, I, I've kind of looked at some more of the, his curveballs in the last couple of minutes, just going through his baseball savant page. And yeah, I mean, you can see the drop on I mean, that's like a, that's a traditional, just like 12 to six drop in right straight down hammer. the zone type of curveball. It's, it, yeah, it's a hammer. It's, <laughs> that's a fun pitch. So yeah, I'm curious to see if he starts using that pitch more. I mean, I think the consensus is he should start using one of those three secondary pitches more often if he can. I mean, I, I think that's pretty obvious from what we've talked about. Oh, 100%. I think that, you know, and we're going to see it. We're going to see it right away. We'll see that fastball percentage drop. I mean, a good amount, 5 to 10%, which is just a good amount. And I think that that's going to help him a lot down the road. We'll see the slider go up. I think we'll, I think we'll see the change up probably stay the same, maybe go up a little bit. And I think we'll see the curveball go up a lot. Because like I said, I, I like that pitch a lot. I know that Billy Epler and staff aren't huge on the curveballs and everybody's slider, slider, slider. But I think that curveball plays so well with his fastball that it's crazy that he's only throwing it 10% of the time and he's throwing his fastball 45% of the time last year. I mean, I, I just think it's kind of, I think it's kind of crazy. Um, so we'll move on to his, I have air quotes, last pitch, sinker. I don't actually think he throws a sinker. I think it's like a two seam in a sense. I think it's just like we were talking about with the curveball. I think it's just kind of a, a change in pace type of thing. Cause when you look at the movement in it and it's not great, 13 inches of, um, horizontal break, which is going into a righty and then 19 inches of drop. Um, it's, it's basically a Andrew Heaney type of sinker, you know, it's like he's doing something. It's coming off the fingers wrong and it's spinning wrong, or he's creating. Actually, he is creating less spin on it, which is giving him a little bit more depth on the pitch. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what he does differently with this pitch, but it's it's not enough. Where I I think that you know it's it's something in his mechanics that he's throwing off that it's like, oh, maybe he's overthrowing a changeup. Maybe he's I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, Brent. What do you what do you see on this pitch? If you see anything. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't even really write much down for this pitch because for the reasons you kind of mentioned, there's nothing that really stands out in the, the characteristics. It doesn't really get a ton of ground balls for a sinker. It doesn't miss any bats. And it's just, it's not that much different from the forcing fastball. So at that point, I think he should just ditch it completely or go in the opposite direction and try to improve that pitch like we were kind of talking about earlier. But he's kind of in this weird spot where he's using it like, part of the time, like seven and a half percent of the time. And at that point, it's just like either improve upon it and use it more or just drop the pitch completely. I can't agree with you more on that. You know, I I think honestly, sometimes we look, I mean, we look at that last pitch and you see it two, three, maybe 4% of the time. And that's when 
technology is telling us that, ah, oh, you know, mechanics, something wrong with the mechanics happened there. Um, but when you're throwing it seven, eight percent of the times, I think he's actually meaning to throw this pitch. I just don't think it's a good pitch. I don't. Maybe, maybe it is mechanics. Maybe there's something wrong with his mechanics, and that it's he's doing it eight percent of the time on his fastball, basically, or I guess sixteen percent of the time if you multiply. I'm not good at math, but it, he's doing it that amount of time, and you know that might be one of the reasons why he's not an effective pitcher with Baltimore is that that those. 8% of the pitches are not very good pitches, and those might be the pitches getting hit a lot. So, you know, there, there's there's so many different things that could go into it. I, I'm i with you on the sinker. I think that, I mean, if you can get that sinker down to 0% or negative percent, <laughs> that, you know, it's it's it'll help him out a lot. Um, another thing that I kind of noticed, Brent, I know that you, I don't know if you noticed it or not, I'm kind of just going through his stuff, um, is that he's a fly ball pitcher. And I don't know if we kind of mentioned it a little bit. How does him being a fly ball pitcher really work with these pitches? You know, I mean, I, I it's going to be, it's, it's, it's a fly ball game right now. And I think his pitches play well to be a fly ball pitcher, but it's not a good time to really be a fly ball pitcher, I guess. You know, he's at 50, 58% of the time we've seen a fly ball or a line drive with, with Dylan Bundy. So I don't, I don't know, you know, considered a fly ball pitcher in a sense. So, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. And it's not, it's not inherently bad to be a fly ball pitcher, but it really does depend on the era that you're pitching in. And obviously right now is not the right time because we're in the middle of the fly ball revolution and the baseballs are juiced and you see that reflected in his home run rates. I mean, 2018, it was at 2.15 home runs for nine innings last year at 1.61 and it was higher before. I mean, it was, you know, above league average the years prior, but he's one of those pitchers that's just getting crushed by this right now. And if he kind of had like a neutralized home run rate that was closer to league average, I think you would see the numbers reflect that and would see a much better quality pitcher. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. You know, I, you know, I think we've hopefully shed a lot of light on Dylan Bundy. I know there were some naysayers in this um, trade that happened and, Ooh, the Angels gave up four pitchers for this guy and, you know, all that fun stuff that we saw on social media um, that happened. But at the end of the day, I really like Dylan Bundy. I think that he can be a very good pitcher for the Angels down the road. The Angels have him until, I believe, 2022. So it's it's uh, I think the Angels did really well with this trade and it's going to be fun to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, no, I think you kind of summed it up well. I'm, I'm really excited to see him. Uh, obviously, we don't know when that's going to be yet, but I have a very good feeling that Dylan Bundy's going to be the best starter on the Angels staff this year or next year, whenever it is. Definitely, yeah. No, well, 100%, 100%. Um, Brent, any final thoughts in general? I don't know. What, do you have anything? No, I'm just thinking about who we are going to talk about next. I know we kind of alluded to Hansel Roeplay's last episode. I do think talking about Shohei Otani would be awesome. Obviously, we don't have a huge sample on him, but what we do have is impressive and would probably be really fun to talk about. Yeah, so let's... I, I, I kind of want to keep with the starters for now. We'll get into relievers next. Um, let's let's go with another starter. I guess we'll make it a surprise for next time, whether it's Shohei, whether it's... I don't know... Probably be Shohei. I don't know. We'll keep it. We'll make it a surprise. We'll figure it out and let you guys know. Um, Brent, I forgot to do this at the beginning. So, Brent, where can they find you on and fi- find your work on online? 
You can find me either on Twitter at bmags94, or you can find my writing at crashingthepearlygates.com. Yes. And as always, you can find me at Jared underscore Tim's. I have my own WordPress. You just click on Jared Tim's WordPress on Twitter and it's there. Um, you can follow us here um, at Talking Halos at TalkingHalos.com. If you want to send us an email um, about any of this stuff, give us some feedback. You can do it at TalkingHalos at gmail.com. That'll go straight to Derek. Say hi to, to Derek. Congratulate him on our 100th episode. We'd love that. Um, and um, for us here at Talking Halos, thanks for listening, guys. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, so you hear studio sound on the road. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.